Welcome to the Troublemakers Podcast with award-winning sports journalists Lisa Cornwell and Karen Krause, stirring up the conversation and controversy one story at a time. Well, I made a post on Twitter a couple weeks ago after the U.S. Women's Senior Open, and it, it's probably one of the one of the posts, one of the tweets that's gotten the most traction because of the woman who's with us here today, Joanne Carter. The legend. This is incredible. Thank you for being with us today on our podcast. Thank you. So, I mean, we can go in all sorts of different directions, but I have to start with this. So, so before the championship, I was texting with Kari Webb. We were, we were texting about a new putter that she had. And I said, Kari, send me a photo. And she said, okay, I will. But right now I'm on my way to go meet Joanne Carter because she called and she wants to get fitted for clubs. And so I Immediately, my mind just starts racing. I'm like, you're kidding. I said, Kari, how old is she? She goes 84. And so she's texting me throughout this, this club fitting that you're doing. She's sending me a swing. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. And then you end up doing what you did in, in the Open, in the championship. I just have to ask you this. Where does this, you're 84 years old. Where does this drive to compete still come from? Oh, I think I've always had it. Know and um, nothing worse than having played very well to all of a sudden, you know, playing very poorly, and I let myself go. So I've had to work hard trying to get it back. Doing um, just my basics were very bad, and I got all screwed up mentally as to how to correct the swing. I mean, like, sign me up for lessons. It, she she said that you were mad because because you could only hit it about 200 yards to me, which is still remarkable, the fact that you can do that, the flexibility in the golf swing, and it still looks like the vintage Joanne Carter golf swing. Not much has changed. Uh, yeah, the yardage. It's <laughs> <laughs> like 110 yards shorter than my longest drive, so, but it's... It's very frustrating because when when I play like over at Pine Tree, uh, I cannot get home in two on a par four. So it's either play it short and or hit it into the bunker. And uh, uh, so I, I worked hard and worked with the, the pro there, Justin Thompson. And uh, as I said, was so screwed up that it was taking me a while to get it. And I started to get it at uh, at the uh, Women's Open Senior in out in Portland, but uh, never quite got there. So, Joanne, in reading up about you, I saw that no less uh, an expert than Sam Sneed, your fishing buddy and sometimes practice partner, said that you had the best swing in golf, um, sec and even better than Mickey Wright's. And I was just wondering if you, um, what you think of someone like him saying that, did that mean a lot to you? Do you disagree, agree? I'd never heard it before, but it means a lot coming from Sam. He was a uh, friend of my husband who used to fish and hunt with him. And then we started uh, when I came to Florida with Don, then uh, we st- I started playing golf with him, and we ended up joining Pine Tree, where Sam was a member. And so I would play with him uh, every so often, you know, not a lot. But I went to uh, 
our place in Tennessee and was have, still having trouble. And Don called Sam uh, over in Virginia and we drove through the mountains with our travel trailer over to him. He gave me uh, the first lesson. What was the one thing? Do you remember anything he said to you in that lesson that uh, turned you around? Uh, basically, he said that when I would uh, swing in, my left would not fold and it would stay uh, straight longer and uh, it, it forces your whole body backwards. Mm. So I would hit and, you know, fall back. And, uh, you know, when I was younger, I could make that C move into the ball, you know, and get way to the left side and get away with it. But as I aged, it was uh, harder on my back and everything to do that. So uh, that's where, you know, I started getting in trouble. And uh, every time I'd see Sam, he would uh, straighten me out and, like, four balls, you know, and I'd say, jeepers, you know, Don and I have worked for two weeks trying to get me out of this, and then four golf balls, you straightened me out, you know. He had a very good eye, which people didn't think about, you know, uh, in analyzing the golf swing. Joanne, you're one of a kind in, in the game of golf, especially now. I mean, and, and we get to see it in full motion and in, in live and in person, as we saw in Oregon just a few weeks back. But I would say back in your day, you were one of a kind, but not really. I mean, it was such an it was such an entertainment era. I grew up watching like Nancy Lopez and, and Dottie and Meg and Beth Daniel and that whole crew. I, obviously, I watched you, but your prime was a little bit ahead of when I was a little girl watching the game. But I remember the fire. I remember the personalities. I, I just, it, it was a true entertainment business. I mean, you all were out there to compete, but you were putting on a show too. I don't know if you watch a lot of golf these days, but what's the difference? What's it like for you watching, watching professional golf nowadays? Uh -huh. They hardly acknowledge the gallery, you know. Thank you for the applause or whatnot. They're, they're just so stoic, you know. It's uh, hard to watch. It's a different game now. You don't see any late Trevinos or whatnot, you know, uh, nowadays. You know, most of them are almost identical. Very little difference. You know, you get a few exceptions, but basically... They all swing just good, solid golf. Joanne, it's funny because the familiar narrative for people on the outside is to say, wow, the women of yesteryear must be so envious of the way things are now with the prize money being so high. But listening to you talk, it sounds like there's a trade-off that maybe you wouldn't have been so willing to make that a little bit of the enjoyment is lost the connection with the public is lost um would you trade your era for this era if you could no <laughs> no i mean other than the money i mean they make as much in a year as i made in my career now it was a lot more fun you could kid someone you know uh or laugh with them out there on the course you know, nowadays you don't see any of that. I mean, there's still 
friendships out there, but they don't uh, display it to the public at all. Joanne, I was I was wondering if maybe your continued passion for the game there isn't something to do with the fact that you didn't even turn professional till you were thirty. And if I'm correct, your husband Don sort of prodded you into doing that. I mean, you had you went to ASU, you had that full college experience, you um, had a life in your 20s with your husband. You came to the tour as a fully developed person before you became a professional golfer. Um, were there ways in which you felt that benefited you? Uh, nowadays, people would say turning pro at 30, you know, your best years are behind you by then. Yeah. Um, my husband recommended that he said, you know, you love golf, uh, but I think you're running out of challenges as an amateur. Uh, and, you know, the last uh, time I competed in the women's uh, U.S. amateur, I was uh, trying to win with no practice rounds. He said, you know, that's ridiculous. You know, you're too good a player. So the next stepping stone would be pro golf. So uh, he recommended it, and I said, well, I'll do it as long as you like it. You know, I said, you're out there with mainly women. There's just a few husbands out there. Uh, you know, you have to enjoy uh, the tour as much as I would playing. And that was our philosophy, and, and it worked. Joanne, you've obviously done so much in this game, 43 LPGA titles, a uh, couple U.S. Opens. You and Tiger are the only players to win the, the junior, the amateur, as you mentioned, and the, and the United States Open. Obviously, you have a lot of incredible memories. What's your favorite? What's, what stands out in terms of what you've accomplished in this game? Well, your U.S. Opens are always the number one item. Because you're playing a great golf course, you you have all the problems of playing four rounds uh, with heavy rough, with fast greens, slippery greens. Uh, you know you have to have your entire game there. You're not going to hit every tee shot in the fairway or every uh, green on your second shot or third shot. Uh, but so your recovery game has to be there for sand and chipping and, and whatnot. You don't uh, basically get away with a mistake in a USO. So that's why it's the hardest to win and the most one that you favor the most. Joanne, this is the Troublemakers podcast. So I have to ask you, I read that you actually passed up one U.S. Women's Open because the USGA had made a prerequisite of participation to be eligible for the Curtis Cup, and that was your personal uh, just sort of protest against that. Did I read that correctly? Yes, yes. I didn't. Uh, I I didn't think uh, you know the Curtis Cup is all amateur golf, women amateur against Europe, and. I didn't feel that the open the professional event should be a number one priority. What was the upshoot of that? What happened? How did people react to that at the time? 
Uh, a lot of people were surprised. I got a lot of phone calls to go play, but I didn't. I don't think it affected anything. My protest. It was just my personal thoughts at the time. Joanne, you've had a lot of great nicknames over the years. Uh, started out as the Great Gundy, then Big Mama. We're also going to throw Ace Maker in there too, and I want to talk about that in just a minute. But one of the things that I love about you in this day and age of I don't know how much you're on social media, but it's like this everything's perfect. You know, everybody worries about what other people think and they worry about, you know, how they look. You remind me of this person that just, you're going to go about your business and you don't give a, you know what? And I love that about you. I think that it's, I think that it's so admirable. What, what do you think? What do you think a young player? And I want to know about this big mama name, because that's obviously how I know you. How did that, how did that come about? How did you get that name and what was your reaction? Because I think if you had a young player today, they'd be like, don't call me that. You embrace it and, and, and welcome it. And, and I love that about you. How did that name come about? Well, it was the uh, Senator Fowler and I tied for the 76 U.S. Women's Open. And when you tie after 36 holes, you go into a Monday playoff. So she went into the press conference Sunday night and uh, said to the press that she was going against Big Mama. So <laughs> Sandra Bauer came out of the headline the next morning in the press. And then from then, uh, the caddies would pick up on it. They would watch the leaderboard and I would get hot and they'd say, well, here comes Big Mama you know, working your way up the leaderboard. And uh, it just sort of stuck. But uh, I, you know, as I, as you had said, uh, I always had a nickname, but my husband hated it. He had <laughs> it was derogatory and took a caddy over the hood of the car one time for saying it, but, you know, it never bothered me. It bothered him, it didn't bother me. I love it. Joanne, few people probably know this, that you played doubles tennis in high school one year. And was it you picked up a racket and two weeks later you were on the team? I mentioned that because you were very early in your pro career when Billie Jean King and tennis got equal money for the U.S. Open for women um, and men. And I was wondering at the time how closely you followed the track that tennis was taking in terms of increasing women's opportunities and paychecks and how you view that equality fight in golf today well i was uh, i mean it was such a huge deal when billy jean king went in there against bobby riggs but uh and it just turned everything upside down so that from there more and more people were watching women in sports, whether it's golf or tennis or uh, soccer. Uh, you know, it increased the interest. And interest, viewers, is what sells your product and, and uh, makes you uh, eligible for more money from the sponsors. So and, and, uh, it just, everything sort of grew from that. On that note, talking about interest in golf, I mean, we talk about personalities and how different it is today versus versus yesterday. You were always an aggressive type of player. And I think I, I totally understand what you're talking about. Golf can get boring. I guess golf 
boring golf is a lot of times good golf. They're hitting fairways. They're hitting greens. You mentioned the advent of the hybrid and and making golf different. You were opposite of that. You you were kind of like a Jordan Spieth. You you welcomed these difficult shots. You weren't afraid to bend it out of the trees. You didn't care if you were spraying it all over the golf course. You were going to figure out a way. What was that about your personality that 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 wanted those those opportunities and the confidence to 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 be able to make something out of almost nothing? Well, I mean, I always uh, worked on trouble shots, you know, um, sand and. Uh, I used to put my golf bag on the driving range out about uh, six yards or five yards in front of me and and stand back and hit a full five iron and curve it around the bag, either left or right. Uh, now I, I better not put a hole in my golf bag. You know? <laughs> but uh, so I'd work on those shots so, when I did get in trouble, it never bothered me. I knew what I had to do. I could, in those days, control the club head so that if there was a little opening in a tree, um, I could see it and I could gauge not only how accurate I had to be, but also the height uh, that I had to uh, keep the ball. And so I would play some uh, unbelievable shots, uh, which I loved. That was the best part of the game. You know, as far as uh, interest in in uh, how I played in that, uh, I used to uh, pout and I'd kick my leg up, you know, and squat down and bend back and all that. Uh, <laughs> I'd never seen any player today ever do that. And I did it all the way around. The photographers used to say to me, Joanne, we love to get assigned by our editor to do a photograph of you because we follow you for two holes and we got our picture. You know, <laughs> if we can follow so-and-so for 18 and never get our picture. So. Joanne, one of your quotes I ran, a, I came across was, you said, the trouble with me is I think too much. I always said you have to be dumb to play good golf. Yeah. Explain. <laughs> well, you get, you know, the analysis paralysis is where you really get into trouble. You're trying too hard to be too perfect. You know, I found that out coming from amateur to pro golf. Uh, amateur golf, you just hit it. If you hit it out of bounds, so what? Tee up another ball and bury the hole, make a bogey, and away you go. But as a pro, uh, for some reason, you think you should not make those dumb mistakes. You know, you should hit it very accurate. So you start steering it. And my swing, instead of wider, all of a sudden got very U-shaped, you know, up and down, up and down. So uh, I lost distance and, and accuracy and everything, so... Once I got out of that and went back to my old game, the only time I ever fired a caddy was when he kept he kept saying, uh, I'd get uh, two, three under par and stand up to a tight driving hole and he'd hand me the driver and say, take your time and put <laughs> it in play. And I would stand up and hit it so far out of bounds, you know, <laughs> and I yell at him, 
don't tell me that. Tell me the goal. Don't tell me the hold back. I said, you know, you don't go from offensive to defensive thinking. You do a, a slight slow down and, and, and that. I wouldn't want to be on the opposite end of one of your angry tirades or be that caddy who got fired. I mean, I'll be honest. I was a little intimidated just to get you on this podcast, but here we are. Okay, let's talk about the good stuff. Last month, I was home. My dad turned 85. He still works every day. He's he's very active. Um, but in my mind, it's not just the, the activity that keeps him young, but he has a martini every single night sometimes maybe two. What do you do? What, what, what's your secret to this youthfulness that we see out of you? Because I, I can tell you're still loving life. Oh, yes. Yes. I, I have no idea why you brought up uh, drinking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't play golf and, and get drunk. But uh, I think to unwind, I've always sat and had uh, a drink with my husband, uh, usually uh, two, and to this day, that's what I do. No matter whether I got to play 36 or nine holes or what, you know, uh, I think you need to just unwind and enjoy the 19th hole, so to speak. Good little chit-chat with everybody. So, so what's, what's the drink of choice for Joanne Carner? Right now, it's vodka and tonic with lime. I had two uh, doctor friends of mine that uh, came by to have dinner with several of us, and they were drinking uh, vodka and tonic with wine. And at that point, they were getting having the test done for COVID all the time, every week at least, and sometimes every day uh, at certain times. So I said, well, if that works for them, works for me. So I have not had COVID. <laughs> Recommend- You're saying a vodka and tonic or two a day keeps COVID away. <laughs> That's it. I love it. So, Joanne, I read where in your 30-something years of marriage to Don, you were married until his death, that you were only apart 10 days, and it, he was such an integral part of your golf. How do you explain your longevity and that, you know, you were able to be... Um, together all that time and make it you know it sounds like your relationship thrived um with that closeness day to day yeah well i i knew uh that it was it was done and done only so that's the first good thing and and from there i enjoyed being with him i mean once in a while, we'd go to a party that was absolutely boring or even a dinner party, and Don would say, let's get out of here. So we'd leave there. He'd figure out some wonderful thing to do, uh, and we'd end up having a beautiful time the rest of the evening rather than sitting there and get bored. So, you know, when it came to golf, that was my thing. But I just enjoyed being with him, was never bored, never, ever bored. Joanne, the question I think everybody wants to know. So last year you said that it would be your last U.S. Senior Women's Open. That was at the age of 83. You played this year, obviously, at the age of 84, and you make Sports Center's top 10, and you're all over the Internet, which was awesome. 
So what will we see from Joanne Carter at the age of 85? You're going to tee it up? I don't know. It was, I worked so hard and was very close to it. I had a really difficult time in that I, uh, for the first time in my life, had to keep score for someone who shot 106 and 107. And it, it was just, uh, you know, even from junior ago, I never scarred for anybody with those numbers. And it just, you have to watch every shot they make and, and keep score. It got so bad that I had to write down a check mark for each swing on her uh, on a piece of paper to so that I uh, you know could come close to what she was making. But um, so that absolutely frustrated me to do it for two days. It really uh, kind of spoiled the whole uh, atmosphere of women's senior golf. I'm still mad, as you can see. Joanne, I'm curious, when you play golf, are you regularly recognized or do you ever run into these people who are like, oh my gosh, I've got to get ahead of the old women playing and then are sort of blown away by how you play? Oh, all the time. It, you know, even when I was on tour, because at that point, you know, it wasn't until Colgate came in and started showing us on TV in the dinosaur that we finally uh, started to become recognized, but uh, a lot of people never knew me. Yeah, they knew me as Big Mama, but they look at Joanne Carter and say, who? But if, if they said, uh, you're te teamed up with uh, Big Mama, oh, yeah, I signed a lot of autographs, Big Mama. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's great, and I can promise you this, Joanne, Everybody knows who Joanne Carter is now after that performance in, in Oregon. It was absolutely amazing. So are you. Um, it, I just want to finish with this. Ace Maker is another. I'm going to give you that nickname because it's, it's part of who you are. How many holes in one? I think it's uh, 16 or 17, but I, I never made my first one until 25 years of playing. Wow. Absolutely incredible. Joanne Carner, we cannot thank you enough for taking the time to be with us today. It, it really is an honor. I know you hear that a lot. I don't say it lightly. I have loved this game my entire life. I've known not only Big Mama, but the name Joanne Carner since I was a very little girl. And I've always looked up to you and admired you, as, as do many people who have grown up watching this game. So thank you for being with us and thank you for all that you've done over the years. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Troublemakers podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating, and a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at the TM Pod. <laughs>